Everybody doing good? Awesome. Man, wasn't that amazing worship today? Come on, man. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Woo. Come on. Ooh, I could just stay right there. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Um, real quick, so before I jump into it, I do want to give a quick couple updates and announcements um, about the conference and everything going on. It's really exciting. Um, uh, Christy mentioned Wednesday. What are we, we going to do uh, the Wednesday after Thanksgiving? So we're going to show uh, an amazing documentary called Wilmington on Fire, 1898. It's a local-made documentary here about the history. It's very, very good. We just went to a showing at Pastor Campbell's church last week. It was phenomenal. So we want to show um, a good portion of that film, and then if we have some time, maybe have a little guided discussion about it, just in preparation for the, for the gathering coming in. But I want to encourage you, because there's awesome insights on this film um, about our city, about what happened in 1898, and then what, what God's doing today. So it's really good. Um, the other thing I was going to inform you about, I just want to share a couple quick updates about the conference itself. How many of you get excited about that, this gathering? I, whew, I just, I've just been getting stirred because it was January this year. We were right there, man, and the Lord spoke so clear. And he said, I want you to bring Will Ford and Matt Lockett to this church. And um, I, I, what I'm excited about is now I'm starting to understand why. <laughs> Sometimes you just do things that the Lord tells you you don't know why. But he starts opening the why. And the why is, is because I believe their story is carrying the next blueprint for what racial healing is going to look like in this nation. The intentionality of friendship that they're carrying is something that's going to be imparted in this city and the region. That's just going to be very powerful. So super excited. Um, and let me share this other cool development that happened. Um, got to really connect this week with the director of DSS of City of Wilmington. Director of DSS for all our Department of Social Services. She's over 331 social case workers in the city. She loves the Lord. She believes in the Lord. And she's agreed to be one of our paneled speakers. Come on. And I'm excited about that. Because we could actually dialogue with somebody and just see how the church in Wilmington can begin to partner with organizations like DSS and other government affiliations to see the kingdom of God fill all these areas and neighborhoods. So really excited about that last one. This was really neat too. Um, Pastor Campbell, we were at New Beginnings Church for the last pre-rally. Very awesome time. It was an amazing time coming together. Life community, the church and them all led the worship in it. So it was really a good uh, mixture of churches. But um, Pastor Campbell, I think the next day called me and uh, he was on his sabbatical and he goes, hey man, I have a question for you. I was like, yeah, what is it? He goes, this, this lady named Faith, uh, Faith is going to be one of our panel speakers. She leads a church in Raleigh. She goes, how do you know this, this lady named Faith? And I said, well, Amber and I actually went to school together 10 years ago in Virginia. We've, we've known each other for a long time. I said, why, do you know her? He said, no. He said, but my daughter goes to her church in Raleigh, and it's changed her life. Said he's been teaching, she's been learning and being equipped in things in the prophetic that, that there were some things that he couldn't even bring his daughter to that place, and she's getting that. So he was just super excited. I just share that, man, because you can't make this stuff up, man. This is the Lord starts stirring and, and moving. So I just want to encourage you, this gathering is not just an event. Listen, not, we're doing this to do it. We really believe this is going to spark a movement of healing. Something's going to happen, y'all. Amen? Come on. Thank you, Lord. So... Um, and then the, uh, the other kind of last thing I wanted to share about before I kind of just open some prayer is, how many is excited that Thanksgiving is coming? Ooh, come on. Ooh, oh, man. Lord, help me not to go too far. 
I'm just going to go a little bit. I love, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays because it's one of the only times that Amber takes out the old apron, it's a Paula Deen apron, and it says, it's time to put the South in your mouth. And I can be bad, and I can eat these buttermilk sour cream biscuits that she makes. I'm putting in my order in right now, and uh, I'm just already preparing myself. I'm going to have to do a lot of exercise after that. But I don't know about you, but I, I love Thanksgiving. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So I hope you guys have a wonderful time with your families and, and just enjoy this week. Amen? Come on. You, you love the corn casserole. I do too, Katie. Awesome. Well, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do today. I just want to share some insights about King David. Uh, several weeks ago, um, that you guys that were here, we talked about Ziglag and, and a lot of the, the tests that David had to go through Ziglag. Um, but this week, I kind of want to stay in the same vein, uh, just a little bit more insights with David and Goliath and some of the things that David had to endure with Saul. So I just felt like this is a pressing word uh, now, what, what we're going through. So I just want to pull some thoughts that, that the Lord showed me through studying this, and uh, I want to share those with you today. Amen? All right. So Jesus, we just thank you right now. Father, we just thank you that you're in the house Lord, it says in the word that where two or three are gathered, so shall you be in the midst. And so, Jesus, we just, uh, we love you. We love you and we adore you, Father. We have so much to be thankful for, Lord, and, and we are thankful for you first and foremost. And so, Lord, I ask right now, would you just begin to release the spirit of wisdom and revelation, God, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, God, all over this place. I pray that you would push back every thought, every headache, every hardship, every weight that has tried to weigh folks down. Lord, we ask that you just release that right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, that you would bring us to this place of oneness, of connection, of unity, Lord. God, that we could truly hear what you're saying at this hour, Lord. And so I just pray, the next few minutes, get me completely out of the way, Jesus. And whatever, whatever comes through, Father, just let it flow like a river. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verse 16. Man, how many love the story of David? Remember I was saying a couple weeks ago, I love it because he's an underdog. And I love a good underdog story. And, and David's life is filled with so many things that is so relevant to where we are today and what we're going through. But um, this, what I want to kind of jump around a little bit this morning is in the context of Goliath. How many remember the ancient story of David and Goliath and that whole deal? I um, want to talk a little bit about that. Um, in verse 16, chapter 17, this is what it says. It says, for 40 days the Philistines came from uh, or came forward every morning and evening and took their stand. And now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain, these ten loaves of bread for your brothers, and hurry up to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their union. See how your brothers are, are. bring them back, and bring me back some assurance from them. They are with Saul, and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. And so, you know, just want to pause right there. You know, so what's going on is that, I mean, you got to go there, right? 40 days. How many know 40 days is a long time? 40 days is a long time. 40 days, the giant Goliath was in the Philistine camp coming forward 
and challenging the whole nation of Israel for 40 days. I mean, that's a long time. He's saying, look, who is worthy to fight me? Who's, who's out there if you guys can beat me? Matter of fact, they were, he was so confident in himself. He said, if you just bring me a person, I will fight them. If they beat me, they'll take our whole nation. You can take our women, our children, whatever you want to do. But if I beat who you bring, then we're going to do that to you. And you know what always struck me out about this? Is out of the whole nation of Israel, this mighty army, no one was able to stand against Goliath. And then you get a boy like David. This is why I love this story. Because David is like, he's like not nobility. He's not like the next in line or, you know, he's not like the most likely to succeed in the yearbook. But he's this guy that's fetching lunch and running and getting and, and serving and going back and forth and almost like the bottom dirt on somebody's shoe. But how many know that God favored David? Come on. So here comes David now up to this battle. And this one I see verse 24. It says, when the Israelites saw this man Goliath, they all ran from him in great fear. Skip down to 26. And then David asked the men when he got there standing, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Come on. What a response. First thing I just want to kind of highlight, just the first insight, I feel like um, what the Lord was showing me is there, is that David was a man who was ruled by faith and not fear. We are living in a time right now where we have to be a people who are ruled by faith and not fear. Everything about that, everybody is shaking in their boots because this impossible thing is ahead of them, and they're shaking, but not David. There wasn't an ounce of fear in this cat's heart. He came up to the line. Oh, listen. Oh, Lord, help me not to go too fast. Before y'all, you know, before I knew the Lord, I was in drugs and alcohol, and I fought, y'all. I mean, I got in a lot of fights. Matter of fact, my first football debut in high school, I got in a fight with the guy in the school, Pender County School, got thrown out, ejected out of the game. Is that right, Dad? Thrown out of my first game for fighting. And so I went through a series of fights. I've told this before. I've both knocked people out and I've been knocked out. I've been on both ends of the spectrum. But I remember sometimes when I would be in that mode and then all of a sudden somebody did something the wrong way and it was about to go down. I don't know about you, but I, my leg get to shaking like that. My lip get to curling. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, me and you are about to go toe-to-toe, and I'm going to knock you out. Now, how many know if we don't fight like that in the kingdom anymore? Amen? But we do have to fight a different type of warfare. And I believe that we have to be like that in the invisible realm so that when we're in situations where everybody around you is in fear and in panic because they don't know what to do, you got to get to that place where you're ready. You're tearing at the chum. You're, I'm going to take you out. Be full of fear and not faith. So David was carrying something in him that was powerful. And why is this first one, this is like basic 101, but it's so needed. Because the reason why David had faith when everyone else had fear is because he built history with God. He built history with God. When David was out in the fields, when no one was looking, he had a harp. He would play his harp and minister to Jesus, minister to the Lord. He sing to the Lord out when nobody was watching. And he started building history with God. 
Let me tell you something about sometimes it's so easy to get routine in our prayer life. We can like go and, and even if for some of us it's a stretch just to make five minutes out of the day to spend the time with the Lord. And then even for others of us, it's hard once we get the time. We're like, where do we read and how do we do? And if sometimes it's real easy to get in that mode where, wait a minute, I'm just going to the Lord and be like, I need this, that, and the other. And we miss the opportunity to minister to him first. And David capitalized on that. He ministered to the Lord. He knew how to do that. He, he, he did that. He practiced that. And when you begin to minister to the Lord like that, you begin to build history with God. You know what happens? There's a transaction that takes place. And all of a sudden, you have faith growing inside of you. And why is that important? Because you cannot fulfill the call of God in your life unless you are walking in the fullness of faith. Now, when you minister to the Lord like that, and just even forget about what you need, just if you minister to him, it unlocks you hearing his voice easier and clearly. Remember, Abner taught us last week that we are a voice-activated people. So we have to hear the voice of the Lord. And went, man, I just learned this. When you minister to the Lord and just pour your love on him, it literally puts you in a place where you can hear the voice of the Lord more clearly. And why is that important? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And we walk not by faith, but by sight. This is a kingdom where you got to speak a thing before it can come to be, it will come. So there's a whole measure of faith that David carried, that no one else carried in the nation. And so here's David, he's on the line, and he's like, look, I am not afraid. I'm ready to take you on. And he did that, and that's what blew me away. But I want to encourage you this morning, those who carry destiny. See, David carried destiny, y'all. And I know there's some people in this room who are carrying destiny. I'm going to say that again. I know there's people in this room who are carrying destiny. And how you know that you're carrying destiny is because you'll find yourself in situations where everybody else is in a panic. And no one knows what to do, but you will be calm. You will be able to stand on the shoulders of quiet trust and deliver the word of the Lord. Because you have built history and invested in the secret place. My God. Do you see that David developed that? Man, he had a gift too to play. And let me tell you something, that intimacy where you develop that gifting, whatever God's given you and you minister to him, that is what will bring you before greatness. Your gift will make room for you before kings in the earth. It will make room for you, not how well we can like dish out the business card and how well we look on the outside. No, it's how well we spend our time in the closet developing that history. That's what will make room for you. That's what will bring you before greatness, before kings and leaders in the nation. Come on. So I just want to encourage us that this morning, let's be a people that are ruled by faith and not fear. We're living in a season where, where that can't be tolerated anymore because Hey, it will probably get darker. A lot of these things are happening, but we don't have to be afraid. David wasn't being, for Saul and them, it was terrible. It was the worst looking picture that they could ever imagine in the nation. But for David, it was his best moment. Come on. So be ruled by faith, not by fear. All right, here we go. Now we're getting a little deeper. Second thing, second thing. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 38. 1 Samuel 17, 38. Now, something funny happened that always caught me. When David comes to the battle line, he's like, who is this Philistine, right? 
Saul, King Saul, hears this word, and he's like, who's this cat? Who's this boy that's like really wanting to fight this giant? Bring him here. And so David is brought into Saul's presence. And uh, look what it says in uh, verse 17, verse 34. It said, but David said to Saul, listen, your, sh- your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When he carried a lion or a bear and it carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Anybody ever killed any lions or bears in this place? This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he defied the army of the living God. And so the Lord, come on, who was faithful to deliver me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go. (laughs) It's like, all right, man, you want it, you got it. Go. Let the Lord be with you. But here's what I want to bring us to, verse 38. And then Saul dressed up David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on David and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried to walk around because David was not used to them. Oh, but look at this. I cannot go in these, David said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off and then he took the staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones. I want you to see that. What an honorable thing, right? All right, all right, boy, you're going to go take on this giant? Well, here. Let me give you my armor so at least you'll be prepared, trained, and equipped to fight this battle. And David's honoring right. He he takes on the armor and he puts it on. But there's something here that God wants to speak to us this morning about. Here's the revelation. Here's the point. David had to step into his own authority and not Saul's. Ah, God. David had to step into his own authority and not Saul's. Saul had armor with good intentions, but that armor was not designed to fit David. A lot of times we see people who are highly anointed, highly gifted, highly successful, and we want to come to them and we want to borrow their shields. We want to borrow their helmets. We want to borrow their sword. We want to borrow their revelation. We want to borrow their anointing. We want to come underneath and hide. We want to come and and, and try because there's a mindset that says if we do that, then we'll walk in victory just like they're walking. But that is a misconception of the truth, y'all. It doesn't work that way. That is a temptation of the enemy. Listen to me. One of the greatest things the enemy is doing in our generation right now is tempting people to to get to this place to pretend to be somebody you're not and to walk in authority that God never gave you. Everyone in this room has a level of authority and a measure of authority, but that is only connected to how well you will become comfortable in your own skin. To step into your authority means to step into this place that you are comfortable with you. And that you have developed a healthy perspective of when you look in the mirror. Because the Bible says, love thy neighbor as thyself. If we don't have that healthy view of ourselves and loving ourselves, we will never be able to love our neighbor. 
It will always be distorted. It will always be confusing. And, and di- No, we have to get to this place. I, I feel it in my bones that we have to break this Pharisee, religious, woe is me. I'm a second-rate citizen in the kingdom mentality and step into authority and say, God says, I'm a child of the living king, more than a conqueror. My God. Mm, it just didn't fit. Whew. It just didn't fit. It was too heavy. See, a lot of times that stuff will weigh you down. Here's another angle of this. Now listen to this. Saul's armor also represented an, another angle. See, remember Saul at this point, he messed up, y'all. Huh? He messed up. He messed up. Remember, he did not carry out what God wanted him to do. And the prophet Samuel came and gave him a spanking and said, look, the Lord is going to take the kingdom away from you. And he did. Oh, but let me say right here, this is something very sobering, y'all. Saul was anointed for two years. After the second year when he did that, the anointing left Saul and an evil spirit came on him. That's what the Bible says. But God left him as king for 40 more years. God is the only boss in the world that will fire you and let you keep working the same position. And just because you wear the title and just because you occupy the office doesn't mean the anointing is flowing through you. Oh, my Lord. And we have to be a people who understand that we have to disrobe ourselves of the armor that was not intended for us to carry and carry only what God intended us to carry. Because David's DNA was he was a man after my own heart who will do everything that I command him to do. Saul did not do that. He failed to do what God called him to do. But David was a man that said, I will do everything that God wants me to do. Therefore, the armor of Saul could not be fastened to the DNA of who David was. Yeah, take that thing off. Be you. Be you. Jesus. Be you. I'm going to hang right here for a moment. I just feel the Lord here. This thing about self-perception is very big right now. I'm going to tell you what a battle that is. You know, I'm, I'm like literally being convinced that it's not so much the sin that holds us back from stepping into our authority. But it's the battle of how well we accept who we are and how well we understand who we are. That's the battleground that keeps so many people from walking in their authority. You can walk in the position. You can walk in gifting. But you can't really walk in that true, true authority where yokes are breaking and demons are running unless you're walking into that place of complete confidence. It's one thing to hear the voice of the Lord. It's another thing to write it in your journal. But then it's a whole another entire matter to actually believe what he said about you. I I shared this one of the Wednesday nights in um, a couple weeks ago. You got to just listen to this as a point. When David later became king, Mephibosheth, remember Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul and the son of Jonathan. 
And, and David said, is there anybody I can show kindness left in the house of Saul to honor my covenant with Jonathan? And it was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was crippled, broken, and lame and couldn't walk. But here's some revelation the Lord showed us. Mephibosheth, whose name means prince of shame in Hebrew, came from a place called the house of Makar. In Hebrew, the house of Makar literally means the house of slavery. House of slavery. Very, very, very important to know that because most likely Mephibosheth was a slave. Why? Because his house lost, David's house won, and a lot of times it was customary that the former who would lose would become slaves to the greater. So now it's very possible Mephibosheth is a slave in this house, and he goes on. And when David brings him in, he even says this statement. This is what threw me. He says, how should you notice me, a dead dog? Dead dog in Hebrew. You won't believe that. When I read this, I went through the roof. I could show it to you after service if you want me to. Dead dog in Hebrew literally has an intricate layered meaning that points to male prostitution. It's very possible that Mephibosheth was being sold into slavery to do sexual immoral acts to make money for this housekeeper. Now, why is that important to know? Because anybody that's ever been caught in that level of lifestyle will know this. It is hard to come through the shame and the guilt and the pain and the damage psychologically and mentally that is wrapped up in that. So when Mephibosheth comes, listen, David comes and brings him. He, he comes to the table, and it says that Mephibosheth was in the king's presence. He was in the king's presence, y'all. And when he's in the king's presence, then David said, I'm going to restore everything that was lost. And I'm going to restore your lands, your father's lands, and even your grandfather, my enemy. I'm going to restore his lands to you. You're going to walk. This is a word. This is like restoration, generational restoration that over 40 and 50 and 60 years of loss in this man's life was being restored. How many would like that? And what does Mephibosheth say after that? I'm a dead dog. And the revelation is he still struggled with his own view of himself. Even though he was in the presence of an almighty king. Many of us could be walking with the Lord 15, 25, 35, 45 years. But it's still a battle to understand who you are in the kingdom. Because you still struggle with the way you view you. My God. But here's the good news. David looks at that, and guess what he says? Pretty profound. Mike's version. It's okay. It's okay, Mephibosheth. Doesn't matter, because I got a seat right here at my table. And you're going to sit here like one of my sons. And it said, Mephibosheth became like one of the king's sons. It may have took some time, but Mephibosheth caught a revelation of his worth. You may be on a journey this morning, and you may be going through a lot of challenges and struggles and valleys, but I want to hear, hear from the Father this morning to tell you, he says to you, it's okay. It's okay if you've been following God a long time and you still struggle with who you are. It's okay. It's okay if you've not arrived at that place yet. It's okay because he has a seat for you at the table. And as you accept that place that he has for you and you behold who he is, 
all of a sudden you'll catch the revelation of how much you are worth in the Father's eyes. My God. Woo. Jesus. Mm, my goodness. Whew. I'm just fired up a little bit this morning. <laughs> mm. I don't know, but I've walked through that for so long. <laughs> Whew. So I hear that. This is how I feel like the Lord is raising up giant killers in this hour to step into authority. So to do that is to step into that, that revelation. Here's two quick steps of what that looks like. The first, David had to disrobe himself from Saul's things. He had to take it off. So some of us, we have to take off the beautiful shining armor. What does that look like? It's okay if you're not smiling every Sunday morning. It's okay if you're having a bad day and you're having a bad week and you come to church in a bad mood. It's okay. It's okay. There's been many a Sundays. Amber will testify that we have went round and round, that the kids went round and round, and then many times I didn't feel like walking out of the door. And you get in this mode where, oh, God, I thank you, God. Everything's going good. Right? Come on. I know I'm not the only one. Let's get real. But I think that's what it looks like, guys. I, I, I think it, it's okay if you walk in here and say, you know what, I've had a powerful or a bad week. I have a really bad week, and I don't know what to do. That's okay. That's when we come together and begin to pray and agree for things to happen. It's something that little that can really begin to change. What are you saying? Disrobing ourselves from Saul's armor looks like we're able to walk more in weakness than our strength. We have to be comfortable with that. Saul tried to lead the nation with his fists, but David led the nation with his heart. And I, I just feel like God is making that very known today in this generation. That he's raising a people who will be very transparent and vulnerable with each other. I mean, to me, I just think that's amazing. The second thing is, listen, David recovered the shepherd's rod in the sling. Oh, my goodness. Shepherd's rod. Shepherd's rod in a sling. So he had this sword, all this beautiful thing, but he said, it's not going to work. So what did he do? He took what he knew and what he already had. So many of us, I dare to say every one of us in this room right now, already have what it takes to defeat the giants you're facing. Already have it. But we have to step into this place and in this realm in our thinking that just because I don't have so-and-so's favor, or just because I don't have so-and-so's ability to think quickly on my feet, or because I don't have so-and-so's uh, anointing, or their gifting, or their charisma charismatic person, because I don't have those things, it won't happen to me. No, 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 no. You already have what it takes. You already have what it takes. You just have to use what you have. Oh, I'm gonna, this last thing on, on this, uh, <laughs> Jesus. I can't get off of it. I, I, I just want to stay here because, man, this has been, that's where been, I've been at personally, I feel like, in, in the last season, man. Just really being comfortable with who God has made me and who I am. And I thought about this uh, analogy. So when I met Amber, right, when we first met, it was a really wild story. Because when I got to Bible college, I had, I had no thought of marrying anybody or even starting a relationship. Coming out of 
sexual bondage, homosexuality, confusion, all that stuff, I was very careful not to go into a relationship. I wanted to stay focused. Amber, on the other hand, was coming out of a relationship, and she kind of wanted to stay focused. So the first day I walked in, true story, she's, she's over in the youth right now, but true story, she wouldn't mind me telling this. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, she'll know. I know she will. So, so now I didn't hear this version until after the fact. So I walked in the door, and um, as soon as I walked in the door, she saw me first. This is before we even said a word to each other. So they had like these nice, ba- up there they have Shirley's uh, Bakery Donuts homemade fresh, so his big chocolate covered donuts with sprinkles, and so she had just literally put that big chocolate donut to her mouth and just took this monumental bite, and so I walked in the room, and she's like, your face was like illuminated, and it was like, oh, I felt, oh my gosh, I got to wipe this donut off my face. I was like, yes. <laughs> and so there was a lot of people in there, so we didn't have, like, one-on-one time. But then about an hour later, we found ourselves in the lobby of the atrium, just her, and we began to talk. And I actually started the conversation. And I don't know about y'all, to the married folks in the house, but for me, I, I knew. I like that. I got a word of knowledge, didn't even know what that was. And God spoke to me and said, this is the woman you're going to marry. You're going to marry this woman. And I didn't tell her that till way down the road. But I, I knew that we were going to marry. Okay, there is a point to this story. So in that phase of the game... Right, you you try and do everything you can to impress. You know, I was trying to do everything I could to go out of my way to make sure she noticed me, recognized me, to impress her. You know, I did all the all the little things right, and I did them over and over. You know what I mean? And for me, again, I can just speak on me. What I did not want to do is get into this awkward moment. To me, awkwardness would just kill the chemistry. It could sever the relationship. So I was like, let's just keep it going and flowing, so we don't hit these awkward moments. That's how I was thinking. Well. You, you, you behave a little bit differently when you do that. <laughs> and you can, you, can, you can not be real and step out of character. So I did that many times. But you know what happened? We got engaged, and then it was like that still phase was going on. But then it was thinking like, okay, we're actually going to live together one day. <laughs> like this is going to get real. <laughs> and then we got married. Yes. Then we got married. And what happened is we came into covenant, we elevated our relationship. And what began to happen was it was a struggle for me to be comfortable around her because I didn't want to have these awkward moments. But after we got married, how many know anybody married? All that, oh, that stuff flies out the window. And, and you don't foresee it in the dating phase, but all the little tiny things of wet towels on the bed and, and hair in the sink and underwear on the floor and, and all the different things. How you Whoa. I became very comfortable with her. Yep, that's her. I bet that's her timing in right now. <laughs> I'm not going there. I became very comfortable. It took some time. But when I did, it's like our marriage, our relationship just began to flow. So I want to encourage you. That's a good way of how we can grow to be comfortable in our skin. It's just we let those walls down. And we just begin to walk more in our weakness rather than our strength. Amen? All right, come on. Let's uh, change gears here. <laughs> Third one. David's secret weapon. Now, and back to the story. All right, so here's David and Goliath. He goes up against him with a slingshot. He kills the giant. Oh, 
brother, I say, he didn't kill him, but he knocked him down. He slowed him down. I want to pick up what happens in the story. There's a revelation here. 1 Samuel 17, verse 51. It says in 51, And then David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, listen to that, after he killed him, I don't think Goliath was dead from the slingshot in the fall just yet, but it said he drew the sword. After he killed him, he cut off his head with his sword. Unbelievable. He cut off his head with his sword, and it said, listen to this, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, my God, they turned and ran, and then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. I want to talk just real quick for a few minutes of a secret weapon that's hiding here. David found and discovered something very important that speaks to you and I today. He discovered a secret weapon. I want you to notice that. He has his rock and his rag that takes the giant down, but he's not dead. But he goes over and takes the very weapon that was intended to kill him from the enemy and thrusts it back into him and cuts his head off. He took the very weapon that was going to be used against him, takes that back, and he thrusts it into Goliath and cuts off his head. And as I pondered about that, the Holy Spirit just jumped all over me. This, I believe this is a spiritual law in warfare, that the way to kill giants is you have to identify the specific attack that he's coming against your life. When you do, the second thing you must do is lean into the Holy Spirit. Lean into the Father and ask him, how are you going to use this weapon against the enemy? And that's how you kill a giant. Oh, oh, let me get, just give me two minutes. In my life, there was a double-edged sword that was formed against me. Two edges. One sword two edges. It was the spirit of addiction. The spirit of addiction was the weapon formed against me to take me out. I know it. It took out many of my family members. It's taken out, trying to take out many more even now. It's the spirit of addiction that came against me so strong that tried to silence me, keep me down, destroy me, kill me. The other side of that sword was my relationship with sexual immorality. Because I partnered with doing homosexual things, all kind of sexual confusion, that thing was like a sword designed to take me out through shame. Because I could never overcome the shame and the guilt of what I had done. It was so hard to do that, even after I knew the Lord forgave me. So these weapons were formed against me to keep me down and and to keep me going. But then guess what happened? When I found God and I had an encounter with him, Two things happened. The first thing happened is that I had to come to a place where I had to confess, my God, I had to release this thing that I was holding, these deep, dark things that wounded me, that hurt me, that kept me down. I had to release them to some people that I was in community with. And the day I released them, I can remember it like yesterday, I felt this weight come off of me, cried. I mean, stomach cry. I mean, everything changed. And something happened. I got free. But looking back 15 years later, I discovered that the giant wasn't dead yet. He had just been dizzy, 
knocked down. My slingshot by me confessing my sin was the slingshot that got the giant of addiction down, but he wasn't dead. What did God lead me to do? He said, now that you've confessed it and you got free from it, I'm going to ask you and challenge you to do something greater. I'm going to actually challenge you to open up your heart, to literally take strangers into the depth of your pain, tell them, tell them to the brokenness, take off your mask, show them how much you hurt and pain and everything you went through so that in that place they can see how powerful my glory and forgiveness and mercy is. Come on. Oh. Oh, this isn't just about sharing your testimony. Don't confuse this. This is something deeper. This is about taking a people down to the depth of your brokenness and the depths of despair that you've walked through in life into the place where Jesus has brought healing and deliverance. Because when you begin to do that, all of a sudden it releases something in the atmosphere. And you are given the weapon. And you take the weapon and the very thing that was used to keep me down, the sexual bondage that was going to keep me down, keep me full of shame and killed. Keep me dead. Now I took that thing and thrusted it back into the enemy's heart. Come on. And when David chopped off his head, it created a breakthrough for the nation. The nation. What happened? A surge of spiritual momentum rose up in the nation of Israel and they broke through the enemy's walls and stormed the gates. My God, I hope I'm talking to somebody today. One of the most powerful things you can do is learn the weapon of attack against you, allow Jesus to take you down to that place, get that weapon, and take it against the enemy. That's how you kill a giant. That's how you kill it. Oh, can you throw that one slide up? I want This is so powerful. I want to share this right here real quick. If you had that one picture slide up, I was in my bed last night. This is last night. I'm sitting and getting ready to go to bed. This is a guy that I've not talked to since 1999. We were high school together, Southwest Onslow, Jacksonville, North Carolina. We didn't even, we weren't even that close. We didn't talk that much. He's doing this motivational thing. I didn't even know he's a believer. So last night I'm sitting down and he posts this on my wall. He says, I'm grateful for Mike. I'm not showing you this to pat myself on the back, but I'm illustrating a principle. He said, not that you were a horrible person in school. That's depending on who you ask. But my gosh, what a transformation is ridiculous. And so what's happening now is people who are watching and following are now getting breakthrough. My God, because I allowed the spirit of God to take me down to the valley of Elah, chop off the giant's head, and show a generation that you can overcome. Oh, I just want to run right here. Just follow with me now. It happened to Jesus. The, The weapon that was used to take Jesus out was the spirit of death. Death is the thing that all men fear at some point in their life. Death is the thing that keeps people shaking and rattling because they don't know what's going to happen when they get to eternity. Even ones who have walked, if you really be honest, it's death. It's your death, the spirit of death that will come on you that will literally leave you shaking. The enemy took that same weapon and was going to use it against Jesus because I believe he did not understand the revelation of the resurrection. 
Satan did not understand the paradigm of the resurrection and the ascension. He didn't understand it. His thought was, if I can just kill Jesus in the natural realm, in the earthly plane where I have dominion, if I can just kill him there, then his message would die. His love would stop. His redemption, his miracles, everything in his life would shut down. But what my Bible says, that when he gave up his spirit on the cross, he went into the bowels of the earth. He kicked down the devil's door and he took the keys that were, listen to me, come on. Oh. He took the keys that were intended to lock him, imprison him, and to keep him down. He took those keys, said, not today, devil, snatched them out, came back to the earth, called his people, and said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And I'm going to commission you to disciple nations. You'll be filled with fire of the Holy Spirit. Nothing will come against your life. My God. He took the enemy's own weapon. And he made it the most incredible triumph battle cry to the church. Eternal life. My goodness. I don't know how you don't get excited, but I get excited. Leg is shaking right now. I'm ready to tear something up. Mm. Woo. My God. Jesus. Mm. So it is possible to take the enemy's weapon that he's using against you, your family, and ask the Holy Spirit, how can I take that thing back and use it against what he's been coming against? I'm telling you, you'll see giants fall. Last thing, we're going to land this plane. David's training. Thank you, Mama. Working it out now, getting ready for Thanksgiving. (laughs) That turkey roll is going to be good. We're going to eat in heaven, y'all. That's what it says. We'll eat in heaven. (laughs) Bring it back, Mike. Bring it back. Okay. Feel the Lord in the house this morning. Last, last, last thing here. Dave, the, the last thought I had was David's training. My Lord. David's training. David had to go through training, and so do we, y'all. We have to go through training. I just want to give a little few insights about training. 1 Samuel 18, 5 verse 11. This will be the last one. It says, whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it successfully. So then Saul gave him a high rank in the army, and this pleased all the people, pleased Saul's officers as well. And when the men were returning home, after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out to meet him from the towns. King Saul was singing and dancing with joyful songs, with tambourines and lutes. They danced and sang this song. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. My Lord. Saul was very angry, and this refrain galled him. They have credited David with his tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only a thousand. My Lord, what more can he do but get the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. I want to read that again. And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The story goes on to say that he actually tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. Oh, 
know, Goliath is one thing. I've learned that if something falls quickly in your life, you, you notice how that fast that 40 days of anticipation, and in one moment, it's over because David kills Goliath. But you want to know what I've learned, y'all? Is that when things fall like that very quickly in our life, that's not the root. It's just a symptom to a deeper problem. Things that fall quickly out of your life doesn't mean that the battle's over. It typically means the battle has just begun. It wasn't Goliath that stood in the way of David's destiny. It was Saul. Goliath didn't occupy that throne. Saul did. So the test with Goliath was one thing, but now we come to this whole paradigm of Saul and David and the test that David had to go through in that whole ordeal. And what I want to bring us to the point is that this is about God's training. God's training. You see, God raised Goliath up, not to punish David, not to punish the nation. God actually, I believe, rose Goliath up to promote David. But he rose up Saul to train David. You know, I like ministry training. <laughs> I've learned, I don't think this is rocket science, our ministry training concept and God's ministry training concept can be a little different. In our ministry training concept, we do guest speakers, awesome classes, discipleship training, outreach and evangelism. We do impartation. You know, we, we do all those missions. We do those things as part of our natural ministry training. Everybody does. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Of course not. We all do it. We continue to do that. But what I've learned and discovered is that God's training is a little bit different than that type of training. Even in education right now, I'm working on a degree in, in education at Regent. And, and in, in, the, in the education and higher academics, you know, it's about doing classes. It's about doing blackboard, your posts, your responses. And then you get a diploma, nice classroom or, or nice classmates online in the online community. It's very, very convenient. Whew. But God's training is completely different. So what does God's training ministry school look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. God will literally encounter you, pull the fire of God on you, prophesy over you. You know it. It's down deep in your soul. You have a word. It literally changes the trajectory of your life, and you're all on fire. You're ready to rock and roll because it's about to happen right now. And when that happens, what does God do? Is he takes you in the complete opposite direction. I mean in the complete opposite direction. And instead of you being on fire and full of life, he literally kills you. Kills you. Takes you down a path. And he raises up not a professor but an adversary. Oh, he raises up somebody that will be jealous of what you carry. Mm. I'm talking to somebody. He'll, he'll raise up somebody and surround you with people that will be so envious of your marriage and your relationships. They'll be so crawling with anticipation. They'll, 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 they'll come at you in certain ways and you won't be able to see it and recognize it. But you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to go through it. Because this is God's training, y'all. And it happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. And so we have to be able to walk through those difficulties. Oh, my God. And we have to not get offended. <laughs> 
Oh. Mm. It's, it's that kind of training. But, but, but let me tell you what. No matter the betrayal, disappointments, setbacks, failures, zigzag, Gethsemane, through it all, there is a purpose. There is a really strong purpose of why you have to go through that type of ministry training. I'm going to end with this. This is the best way I can illustrate it to you. It's in Matthew 11, last passage, 1 through 6. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Lord. Matthew 11, 1 through 6. Why is this important? Let me tell you something about John the Baptist and Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 6, John the Baptist had to go through this ministry training school, y'all. Many knew that John the Baptist, his whole life was given to prepare the way of the Messiah, to prepare the way for the king. And he baptized him, right? I mean, he said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the man that will baptize you with fire. Follow him, not me. I need to decrease so that he can increase. And Jesus gladly takes him up on that challenge, launches the movement of Christianity. And what happens to John? Goes to prison. It's not a good vision plan for the ministry. But he ends up going to prison. Now, he didn't do anything wrong, I don't think. But that was part of the training in the school that he had to go through. Why? Because what I'm about to reveal to you right here, the Lord threw this in. I was like, wow. It said, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12, he went there from to teach and preach in Galilee. When John heard in the prison what Christ was doing, he sent disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Oh, or are we to look for another or spec for so? How could John, his cousin, this is his cousin, y'all. You know that, right? This is his blood, this is his family. I mean, cousin. How can he say that? I always just said, wow, that he, he was so confident that this was the Messiah. But here he is doubting. Why? Because his environment changed. Ooh. When your environment begins to change, you begin to see what's really buried deep in here. And so God put John in this season of confinement in the prison. And, it, and when you're in a time of confinement with the Lord in a season like that, in training like that, you can become very confused and doubtful. You become very just completely weak in your faith. And John here even doubted of what he was preaching. Here's the deal. What does Jesus respond? Look what he says. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive light. Light. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf are healed. The dead men are being raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. In essence, what Jesus is saying, listen, listen, guys, this is what you need to tell John. Basically, I believe, just because he's not in the middle of the movement anymore and just because he's not in the limelight doesn't mean that what he worked for, what he labored for, what he had a vision for isn't coming to pass. Just because you're not in the center of the stage doesn't mean that what you've been laboring for is not happening. He had to remove himself out of that equation. What a challenge for preachers like us today and ministers. It's so easy to get in that place. But Jesus said, look, it's not about you, John. But the movement is going forth and what you laid your life down is going forward. But here's the last verse. Now you ready? I want you to lean in on this one. Blessed is the man who will not be offended at me. Why? 
Do you go through God's ministry training school? Because he's using all of those dynamics to get you to a place in your maturity with God that you will become unoffendable at God himself. At God himself. Because if we pull back the curtain of truth right now in this room, many of us have struggled at one time or another, not being offended with people, but be offending with God himself. Because he's not moved. And he's not promised and done what he's promised. And we have these big questions of why. Come on, all of us have those questions. Why? And I don't know that. I don't know that. But what I do believe is that God can use those circumstances that we're in to get us to this place of we're unoffendable with God. Because if we can learn to be unoffendable with him, then we won't be unoffendable with each other. Good God. Blessed is he who's not offended at me. Oh, my gosh. And that's why we have to go through a lot of things we have to go through. So what should our response should be? Like Job. Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord my God. Whether I have it or I don't, whether I'm losing it or gaining it, whether it looks good or looks bad, I will not curse the name of the Lord my God. I will not be offended at you. I love you. You are mine and I am yours. And I will stop at nothing to follow the plan you have marked out for me. Jesus. God can trust a man or a woman like that. He can trust them with glory. So it doesn't go to their head with a man or woman like that. And I believe in this hour, this moment, that's where he's getting us all to, y'all. That's why a lot of times we've got to go through that kind of training. It's not to punish us or hurt us, but it's get us to the place of this developmental maturity that we will remain undefendable with God and unoffendable with each other. Stand with me, y'all. Thank you, Lord. Whew. Just give the Lord a shout right now. My God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, God. Thank you, Father God. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you. Let's just tarry right there one more moment. Thank you, Father. Just begin to thank him. Just begin to thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We declare your goodness, God. We declare your worth, God, even when we don't understand, God. Even when we can't see, Lord, we declare your goodness, God. We declare your worth, Father. We declare your goodness, God. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, my God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord. We thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. I just felt in my spirit, we had a lot of ministry earlier, just... I grabbed the person's hands next to you, and I just felt to make some declarations, just to, just to release this word in the atmosphere. Thank you, Father. I'm just going to repeat. I just want you to repeat, and we're just going to see what the Holy Spirit does, but I just felt to make a few declarations. I want you to repeat after me. Say, Jesus, Jesus. We, declare right now we declare right now 
that we will be a people that will not be offended at you. And we refuse to be offended with our brother. We declare that in Jesus' name. Jesus, we declare that we will be a people who will kill giants, who will take the sword of the enemy and plunge it back into his camp. Jesus, we declare that we will be a people that do all that you want us to do, that we will be faithful to follow your commands and to be obedient in everything you say. We declare this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. going to invite the ministry team if you'd come if you have any particular prayer needs come and let's uh we'll pray for you have a great thanksgiving everybody praise the lord glory to god he is good